Business as Unusual is a thought-provoking podcast that explores the innovative strategies, disruptive ideas, and unconventional practices driving successful leaders and companies in the ever-evolving world of modern business. Subscribe, comment, and share for weekly inspiration with our host, Aisela. Hi, it's Aisla, and welcome to the second episode of the second season of Business as Unusual. And I am very excited to be here with Jody Fisher. And uh, before we get into talking about uh, her topic, I was hoping to have her answer a little question uh, so you guys could get to know her too. So welcome, Jody. Are you ready for the, the delve into your personal world? <laughs> Sure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm an open book, so. Okay. Well, that's great. Uh, so the the chapter um, I'm a, I'm gonna throw out is uh, what hobby of yours do you think would surprise folks you know? Oh man, um, I feel like so many people I know. Are, um, like I said, I'm an open book, so they really tend <laughs> to know me well already. I'd say people who are not maybe in my most immediate circle may not realize I um, I love. Even though I consider myself uh, ambivert, meaning extrovert combined with introvert, I uh-huh. I love reading. I am in like two different book clubs at any given time in my life. I'm in one or two. I just I I really enjoy reading books that maybe I wouldn't have picked up normally. So I don't know if that counts as a hobby, but I mean I think it reasonably. What book are you? Do you have one right now that you're super excited to share about? Or oh well, my default genre is usually historical fiction. Hmm. Uh, but I did recently read a book called Bittersweet by Susan Cain. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. She also wrote a book that got a lot of attention called Quiet. Hmm. Uh, which, but Bittersweet is um, kind of how how the hard things, the longing, the sadness is actually really important for us hmm. to embrace in order to be whole. And um, I think a lot, at least in our culture, there's a lot of people who try to suppress it or just try to focus on the happy part. And um, I just love that this book was really read so easily, but also um, was just powerful in terms of embracing that side of ourselves so that we can be more whole. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, I think, powerful attention right now on that, that concept of toxic positivity, but also the ways in which repressing, the, the whole of our experience actually has a lot of negative mental, emotional, and social outcomes. And it's not the same as, you know, throwing a temper tantrum in supermarket, but, but spectrum of, of experience that we don't seem to be particularly good at acknowledging is actually kind of real. So that's beautiful. I'll have to put that on my list, actually. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> now you get the secret agenda, which is then I get all these cool things I get to go check out. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Um, And then, so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, microfinance and how that provides underserved women with a hand up to start and grow enterprises. And um, I mean, I I think it's a really powerful and important topic, Um, but can we, I'd love to start with a little bit before we get more into that, the, the, the place that you're working with and and sort of how that came out, you know, what, what you're, your what you're up to, I guess, like your role as well as the organization. Sure. Yeah. Adelante Foundation. Adelante means forward in Spanish. 
Um, we've been operating in Honduras for over 20 years. I was not the founder, but the um, person who was had previously lived in Honduras and he really wanted to help in the aftermath of, of a major hurricane that, that impacted the country. And he, there was a lot of great organizations doing immediate disaster relief, but he wanted to do something for the communities that um, were longer term recovery. Um, and, and he learned, the more he learned about microfinance, um, the more he felt that it was the best option um, in terms of really empowering the local population with what they are already good at and want to do um, but by providing them with, with small loans to start and grow enterprises. Um, and the reason I got into it was mm -hmm. I, you know, I studied international development in school and have always been very fascinated by, um, you know, food access and food security and education and how they all these different things intersect with one another. And although my passion was in global health, I realized, well, when you do the economic side of things first, those other conditions related to poverty tend to improve inherently. That makes sense. And what's your role with Adelante? I'm the development director, but we are um, the... Operations are led by um, 45 different Hondurans in Honduras. Mm, okay. So I am the only um, gringa on staff. <laughs> we have a great board of directors that are comprised of people, um, majority of which are in the U.S., but several people internationally as well as Hondurans. Um, but yeah, I, I so I, I end up wearing more hats than just development. Wow. That sounds really fulfilling. And um, I, I did... I, I've been involved in so many different kinds of um, work around these different topics that you're talking about. And it's so interesting to me that even with that, there's still so many things happening that I've never heard of. Like, you can think you're you're up to speed and then you open a door and you're like, oh, look, there's this whole new world of things. I find it to be inspiring because I could get kind of down sometimes that I look around and I'm like, OK, I just need to remember that there's so much more happening that is actually about uplifting people and creating opportunities for access and, and helping to build that better world. So I really, that's one of the things that I find to be really exciting about discovering what you're up to and, and that, you know, it's been around for so long. That's got to feel, you know, like powerful. Cause I bet you guys have seen folks maybe like move into more plentiful situations or, yeah, there's a lot of wonderful humans um, dedicated to doing really great things in this world where we um, tend to get bogged down with the news that says otherwise. But yeah, there's we were actually a Grameen Bank replicator. So Mohammed Yunus, who had received the Nobel Peace Prize for the work in microfinance back in the day, I think there was like a, a big there was a lot of attention around that time. And I think that they believed microfinance to be this panacea to poverty and when it didn't prove itself to be that, there was um, a decline in attention and a decline in people pursuing it. Um, so although it may not eliminate poverty, I would still argue it is one of the most powerful sustainable development solutions I have seen in terms of alleviating conditions related to poverty. And it does so in a way that's that still gives eight women agency of their own lives. Um, and it allows them to preserve a sense of dignity, which doesn't always happen with those types of humanitarian efforts um, in, 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 that mm -hmm. are, yeah, anyway. <laughs> 
Well, and, and I just, I want to make a comment on that, which is that we have some, I think, backwards thinking around like, oh, if something just doesn't completely fix a problem, then somehow it's, it's like we're dealing with human beings. We're dealing with human beings in a variety of uh, circumstances and cultural experiences. There's no panacea. And the fact that something didn't 100% fix poverty in 10 years, right, or whatever, doesn't mean that it's not a very important tool in the overall approach to creating a better opportunity for more lives to be enriched. So um, I, I'm glad that you guys are still doing it. And I, 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 I bemoan the fact that there's this idea of like, well, we just have to do this one thing and everything's better. I'm like, we're not, there's no Superman. That's not happening. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. us working together. That's how we get this better. So, um, True. so um, you know, I've talked about this a little bit, but the, you know, what is the impact, you know, we're, we're not doing a panacea, but so, but there is definitely impact for both the lives that you engage with. And then I'm assuming there's some ripple effects. Like what, what would you say, like the inspiration or the, in terms of being, doing this and saying, oh, okay, when we see this happen, we know that we've made progress or we feel like we've succeeded in some fashion. Like what, what would that be? That's a great question. I have multiple answers to it. So I'll try to be as brief as I can, but I would say, so there's, I mean, we collect data. We have, we're very fortunate to have like a really adept team in Honduras who are um, very capable. And so we have questions that we ask women before and later um, related to the conditions that they are in so that we can get a sense of, you know, how are the conditions related to poverty and empowerment changing for them? Um, so, you know, we learn some things that are as basic as, um, you know, do they, do, do you have a dirt floor? Or do you have, um, you know, a, a conditions at home that, you know, are your kids being educated? Um, and so we are able to compare before and after um, in that extent. But we're also asking questions related to empowerment, which is a little bit harder to measure. Um, but even if it's, do you feel more comfortable making household decisions? Um, are, are those decisions being taken seriously by other household uh, members, things like that? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not just the total numbers. I mean, we tend to reach anywhere from four to 8,000 women per year, depending on the year, um, with, with both microloans as well as education and training. And so, you know, we, we certainly measure our success by how many women we're able to reach. Um, and in terms of ripple effect, yeah, I mean, with every woman we work with, we anticipate that that impact carries over into all of their family members, as well as so their community members. A lot of the women that we work with are, um, we don't really do much in terms of advertising. A lot of it is one neighbor saying, hey, you know, Darla down the street is doing this kind of business and she is really struggling, but, you know, she just needs more money for some inventory. You know, so a lot of it is, you know, about the ripple effect is it was either within their communities or the neighboring communities. And I'd also say within the, within their families, not just the improvements in, in, in poverty, but also when the daughters and sons see their mothers with successful enterprises, that has a ripple effect for generations to come, right? They're inspiring their, their children, their cousins, their extended family. Um, mm -hmm. And that is, that is powerful as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've read multiple vetted research papers that talk about the the impact of improving the lives of women in community, that it is consistently one of the most effective ways to improve the lives of everybody around them. Um, and that's, it's intriguing to me that that is the, the way of things, but it's also just been demonstrated to be factual. So <laughs> it makes sense that that would have a, a big impact on the community. Um, what inspired you to, you talked a little bit about the global health piece, but you know what you went into that as a, a a college study. Like what 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 brought that into your awareness as something to to take on and to, to put your life into? I lost a loved one as a teenager, and I I learned life is short, and mm -hmm. I better do something with the short life that I have. I ended up studying in Cairo at the American University there. And I just saw poverty on a scale that I had never, it, it just blew me away. Um, so I think um, from that moment forward, I, I became very interested in understanding um, the global impacts and, you know, why people, why these conditions exist and what, what can we actually do about it? Um, so I think I went into it with some very altruistic, uh, immature desire to just help. Um, but I, but as I, the more I learned and I went on to, um, get a graduate degree in international development from the university of Denver and, um, being able to do internships and have some incredible mentors, I, I definitely learned, oh, there's good intentions are not enough. Mm. Uh, there, there's definitely things like, like I, you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of different types of organizations, government contractors, nonprofits, foundations, and I, on a variety of different um, tech and technical, technical areas that um, attempt to help um, those that are underserved in other countries. But I, I continue to come back to microfinance because I, I think it is one of the most powerful sustainable solutions. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? differential like when you say it's one of the more powerful sustainable solutions um what what are you comparing it to or um how is it that it rises to the top in your experience well a lot of um efforts are and i think there's you know the industry has come a long way um there's really an acknowledgement that top down doesn't work it's not someone who should decide in the U.S. like this is the best way for you to get access to a product or service. There's a lot more conversations that ha that involve engaging the community. Sometimes what happens though is that a, the government of a given community may have uh, resistance, or there might be issues re revolving corruption. So you know, ideally, you have agreement between both the at the Kind of higher level as well as community level, but that's not always possible. Um, but you know, with microfinance, it really is about hey, we're not telling you what to do with your business. We're just saying, would this be a helpful? You know, having access to a micro loan, would it be helpful? And if yes, um, you know, we have well-being officers that then make an assessment with the respective woman to determine, oh, you know, they, she really needs to better understand, um, you know, money management or. Um, you know, we kind of have a series of module edu education modules regarding financial literacy that, um, you know, we don't make it mandatory, but we, we suggest that women participate in the, that type of just so that their businesses are more likely to be successful. 
Um, but when I say sustainable, I mean, um, like, so, so our organization has had many years to do what we do and refine. We have a 97% repayment rate. Hmm. So with a, currently we have like a $1.6 million loan portfolio, but any given, you know, like last year, for example, we actually distributed $2.5 million in microloans because when the loans are being repaid, we can then redistribute them. Um, so it's sustainable in the sense that we have this very nominal um, interest rate, which helps us to cover almost the majority of our operational expenses. So we're not a nonprofit that's reliant on um, fundraising um, at a high level to then be able to subsist, right? So mm -hmm. sustainable financially is, um, is was what I'm referring to. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if there was another additional piece to the questions that you had, but I'm happy to mm -hmm. elaborate. That's a great point because I do like a lot of nonprofits are, are subject to the whims of the stock market or, um, you know, the, the trends the you know, what's, what's hot essentially. <laughs> and it sounds like you're able to kind of like avoid a lot of those pitfalls and be able to keep going about the business of supporting these people that you're working with, regardless of sort of what else is happening in the, in, I mean, I'm sure there's some impact, but it sounds like you've created a situation where you're, you're fairly um, insulated from that. And that's actually pretty awesome. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not awesome that these women can't get access to a hundred dollar loan, right? It's not yeah. awesome that um, these women can't, um, you know, it's unfortunate that their governments are, uh, you know, and I, and I say, I'm just broadly using that, but, you know, th these women don't have friends or families that they can borrow from and they and they don't have enough credit history or collateral to get um, the money from a bank. And even if they were to qualify for a bank, that they're going to be charged like 20 to 30 percent interest, which just is predatory, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, yeah, it is. It is. I think I, I think it's predatory. I'll I'll, I'll stand by that with you. <laughs> Um, if so, if you're successful, I have a, a side question actually before I ask that one, which is: Has anyone ever tried to replicate what your company has done and or your organization has done in any other countries, or is it um, mostly you guys do this in Honduras? And I mean, I know other companies out or other groups do microfinance, but it sounds like you guys have a, a more specific model. And so I'm curious if, if that's if anyone's ever called up and be like, I want to do this in my country. Um, yeah, good question. I mean, yes, there is a lot of different microfinance organizations in a lot of different developing countries. Um, we, when we first started working in Honduras, we were one of the only ones there. And now there's um, an, over a dozen. Okay. Um, there, a lot of them are for profit though, and they they charge higher interest rates. Um, I mean, our ethos is to put the woman at the center, no matter what. Like so, during COVID, for example. You know, we had a lot of women that needed restructuring of their loans and in many cases, uh, a complete forgiveness of their loans when they were losing homes. And um, we had we also had two hurricanes that came um, shortly after COVID had hit and they weren't getting vaccines in the country anyway. And anyway, so there, there was a lot of issues during for, for a good two or three years. So um 
forgive me, I've already forgotten the question. Oh, replicating. Um, <laughs> we have, so we have like a very custom online monitoring and evaluation system. Mm -hmm. We had tried several over the years that were more, you know, kind of cookie cutter and they just didn't apply to exit the things that we wanted to, to measure and show. So we have had some organizations say, hey, we really like what, what you're able to collect, aggregate, and analyze. Is that something we're willing to share? So we, we wanted to patent it just because we're happy to share that with other nonprofits. But if it's a for-profit entity, we would like to utilize it as a, income, you know, a passive income stream. Mm -hmm. um, so I wouldn't say our model is unique in that, I mean, we started out as only focusing on um, group loans, meaning that five to six, seven, eight women were all going in on um, kind of a, a, if they defaulted on their respective loan, then they were responsible for helping each other out. Um, since then, we've we've expanded to do individual loans as well as you know, water and sanitation, home improvement, agriculture, educate some additional loan products. Um, so I, I don't know how many organizations are offering all like the kind of combination of different um, things that we offer. But there's I'd say the the micro loan plus education is a very common, common, mm -hmm. common thing to do with other microfinance organizations. Um. I mean, it sounds like it's effective. So there's, you know, <laughs> might as well do the things that work. Um, so if you're successful, it, however you're defining it, what do you think will be different in the world? Um, you know, it's it's about empowering women to, to be able to improve the conditions that they live in. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, we define success as 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 women who are able to take their families from one place and um, elevate that to um, something that, you know, we all I, I think we inherently all human beings, whether we're from the U.S. or from a developing country, we all seek to at least maintain status quo, if not improve it. And so the goal is to be able to give women the resources and tools they want and need uh, to take themselves and their families to the next level so that they have improved conditions of, and, and that their welfare and health and education and, you know, they're breaking these intergenerational cycles of poverty. Mm -hmm. yeah, that makes sense. And it, I mean, that makes that will make a difference. Like the more that we can, I think incremental change is the most sustainable as well. Like the, the drastic changes are harder to maintain. And when people can actually have the ability to like take what they know and understand and build something on their terms in a way that works in their life, it's much more likely to stick. So it, it seems very wise. <laughs> um, what's the best advice that you have received or given or both? Oh, I would always defer to my grandmother, Betty. Um, she um, just was a wonderful, wonderful human being. Um, God bless her. She, um, I remember visiting her uh, when I was around nine or 10 years old. I was drawing, I, I think it was the longest period of time I'd been away from my family. And I was drawing, I think, a picture of my family and maybe some hearts or something. And she had leaned over my shoulder and said, you know, you know, that heart that we draw. It's not like the heart inside of us, that heart inside of us is, you know, it's not like you, you have a fourth for mom and dad and a fourth for your brother. It's just like that heart inside us has this infinite capacity to love and give. 
And that just was powerful to me because I think we live sometimes in this place of um, limitation or, you know, just, but if we allow ourselves to love and give as much as we wish, and if we realize that that has an infinite capacity to do so, um, I just think that, um, you know, the world would be a better place. That's really beautiful. Grandmas are so great in that way. (laughs) I know, I know. Um, what do you do to keep yourself inspired when it gets yeah, hard or how do you research when it most, my experience is a lot of work that's about taking care, surveying, develop, it can be, um, there can be moments of like, oh, <laughs> so I don't know if you have that, but how, do, if you do, or how do you just recharge in general? That's a great question. I'm also a mom and I definitely uh, burn the candle at both ends. I, yeah, self-care is not always easy to make time um, for, but I, yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, resting, I always like to, I, I usually go down to Honduras about once a quarter or once every three or four months. Um, I always try to add one day for myself where I just can rest, um, you know, without any of the commitments of work or family. Um when I'm at home, I usually try to do it, like create that's that kind of sacred space right before bed or, you know, no, no phones. I read a good book. I, you know, I, I, yeah, rest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love, I mean, I live in Colorado. I'm very fortunate. Uh, so as much as I can and when weather permits, I, I definitely like to get outside and it's, it, there's just a lot of beauty and get out in nature too. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's very healing. I recently read a book that's been out forever called burnout. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but they did a lot of neuroscience around um, how to regenerate yourself when you are facing uh, stress. And one of the points they make that really hit me was that the distinction between dealing with the stressor, right? Like something stressing you out and you deal with it, whatever that is, but then also dealing with the stress in your body. And, and mm. you actually have to do both because it actually, you're, you take it in and if you don't get it out, <laughs> it's just there. And I, 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 then they have a lot of science around it. So don't take my word for it, but it's, um, it it was a really interesting um, perspective to take in and recognize it's not just about having good boundaries. It's also about literally taking care of your body and rest is one of the things they talk about. They have a whole, like you kind of walk through to kind of help you determine how you do that best for yourself so that you can stay in your life in the way that is most fulfilling to you without necessarily ignoring those things that, you know, cause I, I, you know, I raise kids. I love my kids. So that does not mean they did not stress me out. <laughs> so you have to find a way to deal with that whole process. Right. So uh-huh. I love it. I'm going to add it to my queue. Yeah. You, you, I have, yeah. You like books. You love it. <laughs> That's great. Um, and then if, if you know, so folks, I'm sure someone's going to listen to this and go like, I want to get involved or support or something. So how do they, how do they do that? What do they do? Yeah. Um, and, and there are so many ways to get involved. I know that some people just think, oh, nonprofits and money, um, but there's like committees and, um, you know, we welcome visitors to Honduras. Um, I'm actually going to be moving there at the end of August for at least a year. And I will be um, able to more regularly connect with people who want to visit. Um, Roatan is a short uh, ferry ride from our headquarters. 
Um, so I always like to tell people that too. Um, but yeah, there's, um, I'd say the Adelante website's probably like the best way to stay up on what we're doing as an organization. Um, not to mention my contact information is available on that website, which is adelantefoundation.org, A-D-E-L-A-N-T-E. Um, and then, I mean, if anyone has interest in, in reaching out, um, you know, they can use my email or, or through LinkedIn, Jody mm-hmm. Fisher. Yeah. And I'll post all that in the show notes. So, you know, this could go out and so folks will be able to grab that hopefully. And if they somehow have an issue, they could always email me and I will happily forward them on to you and what you're up to. Because it seems like a great opportunity for folks to do something meaningful and to participate in something that will benefit other folks and probably give them a, a good feeling about being part of something so thank you so much for your time today. Anything else you want us to, to share with folks before we sign off? No, I'm just, you know, I like, I always like to tell people because sometimes people are like, oh man, you're doing such amazing. You do not have to make this your life's work. There are so many wonderful organizations doing great work and there's so many ways to plug in. Um, I heard a statistics w- once that said something along the lines that we, we place, um, Oh, sorry, that we ha- we attribute over 90% of our happiness to things that we spend less than five to 10% of our time and resources doing. So um, there's just so many great things to, to be able to do. And, and it can really contribute to like a big part of our sense of fulfillment. So, so don't be too hard on yourself. That's fantastic. All right. Thank you so much.